episode 127 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Democrats need to hang together or they will surely hang separately. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. Welcome to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. I'm Chris Hahn, your host. I think you know that, but I'm told I've got to say that every week. Just tell tell everybody you're the host. Goes a long way. Tell them who's on the show. I got John Nichols, who is the national correspondent for The Nation, joining me today. He's fantastic. He knows a lot about a lot. We talk about California. We talk about the, just the, the national politics um, and really uh, the future. <laughs> What's going to happen uh, coming up here? Because frankly, there are just some people in this country who are crazy who. Look, I'm happy that California went the way it did and that the Republicans got beat so badly in that race that they couldn't even cry uh, fraud. But it appears to me, and, and Nichols and I, John Nichols and I talk about this in my interview in a little while, that that's their strategy, right? Try to suppress where you can. Try to suppress where you can. And where you can't suppress, just say, it's it's all fixed. It's all rigged. It's all fake. That's their strategy everywhere. That's not going to make for a peaceful country for long. If there is a certain segment of the population out there that thinks you're stealing the election from them, that you are fake, and they somehow believe this in the face of no evidence that... Tell, I mean, I think about the My Pillow guy for a minute. Think about the the big symposium he did a couple of weeks ago where he was going to unveil his evidence of how Trump should still be president. And all it really was was like those old printer sheets. Remember those old green and white printer sheets with numbers on it? That's all it was. There was no evidence of nothing. The people at that, that, that left that meeting were being interviewed saying, I don't understand what the evidence is. I almost wish everybody could have seen that. So that maybe they would have woke some people up that these people are just complete frauds or, or, or crazy. I, there's something wrong with Mike Lindell. Something is completely broken in that man. I don't know if it happened because of the drug abuse, which he has talked about. So I am you know, free to say that he was a former crack abuser. Uh, maybe that broke something in his brain that makes him believe nonsense believe like make things up he's like a fabulist i can't imagine uh seeing donald trump talk to that guy at mar-a-lago i wonder what they talk about because you know donald trump he'll say that the election was stolen he'll say that there was fraud but he knows better right i don't think he really believes it (laughs) i think he he likes to say it because that's who he is but he can't possibly believe it mike lindell believes it he believes it to his core that donald trump was elected president of the United States and that it was stolen from him uh, by some sort of conspiracy. Now, I've said this, I don't know if I've ever said this on this show, but there really are no governmental conspiracies. There are no secret societies running government. I worked in government for a long time, and I will tell you this. If there was a secret society that was running the country, the people in that secret society would want to wear a pin to let you know that they were in the secret society. And everybody would want that pin. Trust me, that's how it works in government. Whenever there's a little club and maybe people put on pins or there's a little group, you know, people get jealous and they want to know and people want you to know that they're in that club. So I find it hard to believe 
that people who have been in government their whole career would work their way up to this position of power where they are running the world secretly behind the scenes and they wouldn't want anybody to know about it. I'm sorry. What fun is that? That would never happen. So uh, anyway, it, it, look, I'm happy California's over. I hope they, they reform that that stupid law they have with recall where you could you know basically lose a governor uh, and then elect somebody with 20% of the vote. It, it's It's complete nonsense and it needs to change. But before I get to my guest, let me just talk about the Democrats and the Biden plan. Okay, the Build Back Better plan or the Biden agenda. They really haven't come up with a good name for it. And they've allowed the press to call it the $3.5 trillion spending plan. Now, I've talked about this before. Um, that's a bad name for it. We got to start talking about what's in it. We got to start talking about uh, vision care and dental care for people on Medicare and Medicaid. We've got to start talking about the child tax credit, which is basically ending child poverty in this country. We got to talk about that. We got to talk about what's in it, not what it costs. But more importantly, the Republicans aren't going to be there with us. All of this back and forth, all of this fighting, they are not going to be there with us. In fact, Mitch McConnell has has signaled that he will not even support an increase in the debt ceiling. So he'll let the nation default on its debt. Uh, because, you know, he's Mitch. Now, um, I think that the Democrats will muster the votes to raise the debt ceiling. I also think the Democrats will get the votes to pass a version of the Build Back Better plan or the Biden agenda or whatever we're going to call it, Um, along with the infrastructure bill. I think both of those things will pass. The Democrats need to get it together because this is going to be an issue they're going to be judged on. And this is not like, you know, Obamacare or the Clinton budget, where you're going to see this backlash from Americans. Americans like what's in this bill. We have got to do a better job explaining what's in the bill. Joe Joe Manchin and Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the people from the White House who are being sent out to talk about this bill, they need to be fighting over what should be and should not be in it. I have heard a lot from Joe Manchin about how much it should or shouldn't cost and how he cares about the cost of this bill and adding to the national debt debt and all that other nonsense. Meanwhile, there's a perfectly good bill that would get rid of the Trump tax cuts, which didn't help any of us. Um, That bill would be fantastic. Let's do that too. And that would pay for most of this plan. But I want to hear Joe Manchin tell me what he'd take out of the bill. Next time he's in a debate with some newscaster on a Sunday morning, they love to have him on on Sunday mornings, somebody ask him, what will you take out of the bill? And I'll tell you, he won't have an answer for that because nobody's really talked about what's in the bill. He's got some things he likes in the bill. I mean, he should. His state is 50th in infrastructure, 49th in education. It's like last in the country in almost everything that that bill goes goes to fix. So West Virginians are going to benefit dramatically from this bill. Talk about what's in it and ask Joe Manchin to tell you what he wants to take out. That's how negotiations happen, okay? And Democrats stop talking about the price tag. Nobody cares about the price tag. And if we could find a way to pay for it through getting rid of the the the, the Trump tax cuts that I'm sorry, look, I live in the Northeast, The Trump tax cut definitely helped me on my income tax side, but I lost it all because 
they got rid of the state and local tax deduction here in New York. And in New York, the state and local tax deduction is dramatic, particularly if you live in the suburbs of New York City. Uh, property taxes in New York City, for the most part, are well over $10,000 for most taxpayers. That's just your state property taxes. Then you pay state income taxes on top of that. You lose that deduction in this. So it, it, it is a net loss for most New Yorkers. And he took that state and local tax deduction out of there to punish New York and California. He did that on purpose. So I've heard a lot of talk that we don't want to put the salt back in and that maybe we shouldn't put all the salt back in. No, nonsense. That was put in to punish blue states. New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, California, states that have state income tax and higher property taxes to fund education. Now, you want to have a long-term conversation about reducing state and local taxes? I'm all for that. We should have that conversation. But having some guy who was petty decide that he was going to take out a deduction and try to hurt New York and New Jersey and Connecticut and all of the constituents therein, no, that's not a reason to get rid of the state and local tax deduction. I'm all for having that debate, though, about why these taxes are so high in these states and what can we do to get them under control. Let's have that conversation. But that was not the way to do it. We didn't even have that conversation. He just made a dictate to hurt people who he perceived as his political enemies. And we can't allow that to stand now that we have power in Congress. So put it back and get rid of the whole thing. Get rid of the whole package. It was bad to begin with. Democrats can't fail on this. They can't allow the Republicans to regain control of the Congress and not pass the Biden agenda. In fact, they will lose the Congress if they do not pass the Biden agenda because you will see some disillusioned Democrats decide not to vote because why? What difference does it make? Who's in power? Now, obviously, there's a lot of difference. Look at the courts. Look at all these other things happening around this country. But you risk losing it all if you don't pass this plan. Now, next week on the show, I'm going to have Jim Kessler who is a former colleague of mine at Schumer, who is a big shot at the third way. I don't know if he runs the third way or if he's the head of policy at the third way. He's been at the third way since he left Chuck. And that was a long time ago because Jim and I only, I think, worked together for a year at Chuck uh, Schumer's office back in the uh, 99-2000 timeframe. Uh, so Jim Kessler uh, will be on the show next week and we'll talk more in depth about this topic. So get ready for that. Because uh, it's going to be a, a good show. Uh, Jim's a great guy. I can't wait to talk to him. Jim's the guy who wrote that speech that I saw hundreds of times uh, working for Chuck Schumer. Um, so I chose the girl. If he ever spoke at your graduation, uh, you know that speech. All right. So I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to be back with my guest. And then I'll be back to wrap up the show, give you a puppy update uh, and more. So stick around. And really, I appreciate you liking, subscribing, telling friends about this podcast. Please continue to do that. Stick around. Great guest coming up. Uh, John Nichols from The Nation. You don't want to miss it. Joining me now, John Nichols is the national affairs correspondent for The Nation, one of my favorite magazines. John, how you doing? I'm doing great, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You're, you know, love The Nation, love your work. Uh, so much going on. I originally had you come on to talk about California. I want to spend a few minutes talking about California at the top. That recall election, which was a bust for the Republicans, which, look, I got to tell you, six months ago when this whole thing started breaking, when they got the signatures and they were getting on the ballot, 
I was somewhat concerned because recalls tend to just bring out people who are angry. But I guess California has made it so easy to vote that it's, it, you know, Democrats had no problem turning out their base. I think you're right. You put a lot of good stuff on the table there. So let's begin with the core concept. The California recall system is disaster. It's a mess of a system because um, it does the two votes. In just about every other state where you have a recall, you force a new election. So uh, the person who's being recalled faces off against the opponent. Right. Uh, California makes it complicated, weird, you know, ask people to jump through all sorts of hoops. It's a bad system. And that made me concerned for a lot of the same reasons you were concerned. But what happened in California is that our right-wing friends were too smart by half. Yeah. They, they didn't endorse a credible candidate, right? Somebody maybe a somewhat more moderate Republican who might actually have had some, some appeal. They stood down. They let Larry Elder emerge as the de facto Republican candidate. Yeah. They even facilitated that. The right-wing media echo chamber, you know, took it to 11. They loved having, you know, a TV radio talker as candidate. Uh, and the end result was they created a recall like occurs in other states. They effectively had a situation where it was Newsom versus Elder, and that got people out, you know, in droves. Yeah, I, I, I felt the best thing that happened for Gavin Newsom was Larry Elder. I almost felt like his campaign was pushing for him. Yeah, the only thing you might want to ask for is that Larry Elder run again in 2022, uh, because uh, that would be the dream come true for Newsom. Uh, in the end, the, the reality is that this recall strengthened Gavin Newsom. Yeah. It put him in a better position. And so it really blew up on the Republicans in California. It also provides a lesson for politics going forward around the country. Yeah, totally. And, and it, it's to me like, I, I don't even know where to start. Like Larry Elder was putting out that he was going to challenge these results and all this stuff before he got shellacked, frankly, he got shellacked. And I haven't heard a peep from him on this because it was so bad of a trouncing that, I mean, what are you going to do? The tell always when they know they're going to lose is that they bring up fraud before the election. Yes. I mean, who does that? It's right. Like, yeah, I think this game is rigged. Um, and so that's the tell that they know they're going to lose, but they didn't think they were going to lose that badly. Right. Um, obviously, when they did, they, you know, they've stood down. And I think some of the talk about Elder as a candidate again in 2022 also may soften a little bit. But the bottom line is there's a powerful lesson here for California and for well beyond California. And that is that if the Republicans decide that they're going to go the Trump route, that their theory is that they're going to want to mobilize their base, you know, get their people out, uh, get them all angry, get them all excited, do the gig. Um, then Democrats have a real chance, not a certainty, because it's hard, but they have a real chance to beat the midterm curse. Yeah. And that's an amazing prospect. And California, unintentionally, the Republicans showed us that this is a real possibility, something that we had not anticipated up to this point. John, I've been saying publicly and privately that Democrats should double down to Republican-based voters on the Republicans' theory that the elections are rigged. Because if people think their vote doesn't matter, they ain't going to do it. <laughs> so it's especially in states like Texas where it's hard to vote. 
I couldn't agree with you more. I think that, that it does have a depressing impact on their own base, but it also has a mobilizing impact on the Democratic base. Yes. Right? I mean, remember, this is the reason that there's a midterm curse. It is that you don't have a sitting president to run against. Right. right? You know, the other side does in this case. That if you're uh, a Democrat, right, you know, you're satisfied. You've got a Democrat in the White House. You've got Democrats in control of Congress. Right. Um, and, but it's the Republicans that want to change that. Now, the only way you beat the midterm curse is if you've got, in this case, a Republican, Donald Trump, and the people that extend from him, that is so enraging, so troubling, so frightening, that people feel like they still have to come out and vote. Yeah, and Larry Elder was fascinating. Fr- Larry Elder was frightening to Californians. He said some stupid stuff. I mean, all the time. It was great. I loved it. Uh, it, it like helped Joe Biden tremendously because, quite frankly, uh, you know, this could have been a Scott Brown Massachusetts situation for for Joe Biden, and it turned out oh, to be a referendum on Biden, which was like thumbs up. <laughs> In fact, the thing that I keep pointing out to people is Larry Elder and the well, actually the. The recall, the pro-recall vote, underperformed where the Republicans were at in California in 2018. Yeah. And in 2018 in California, the line was the Republican Party was dying. It was in, you know, just horrific shape. And they underperformed that. And so, yes, for Joe Biden, for the Democrats in general, uh, this is a big boost. And it comes at a time where, if we're honest, look, the last few weeks have not been particularly generous to Joe Biden. No, it's been a rough. It's been a rough time. Uh, what a remarkable thing to have happen that in the midst of this rough time, suddenly you get this redemptive election result coming the day after Biden himself flies into campaign. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you this, John. Uh, how much do you think the Texas abortion ruling helped? Uh, Gavin Newsom. I mean, look, he was going to win anyway at this point, but like, I don't know. I, I feel like that's a motivating uh, effect for Democrats in the midterms. I don't think there's any question it helps. Uh, and I think it's the reason that you see uh, Democratic candidates in New Jersey and Virginia, uh, where we will have November off your elections, uh, talking about Texas, right? I mean, the Texas thing is frightening, and it is it's evidence that uh, of something that I think a lot of people didn't take seriously up to this point, and that is that these Republicans mean it. For a long time, the Republican Party was sort of the wholly owned subsidiary of the Bush family. Right. Uh, you know, they were conservative, but mainly what they were about was making corporations richer. Right. They didn't care about a lot of other stuff. No, they didn't care about anything else. <laughs> right. They weren't going to mess anything up, right? They were, well, they wanted, to, they wanted to start a few wars, too. That was their thing. Oh, well, that the military industrial complex. Yes. yes. Um, and so, but that was, that was a different time. These Republicans need it. They may not actually believe it. I mean, I'm sure that there are many cynical Republican elected officials who, you know, are not really anti-abortion, aren't really anti-gay rights, whatever, but they know or they believe that they have to do this to rally their base. Yeah. And so they're going to do it. And, once Democrats understand, state Democratic voters understand that this is for real, that if Republicans get in charge of a state, be it California, New Jersey, Virginia, pick your state next year. They're just going to br- actually see a ban on abortion. They're, yeah, and they're going to break the state. 
John, so, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, General Milley and the Republicans' obsession with him right now because he called his counterpart in China and said, this guy might talk about a war, but there's not going to be a war. Um, you know, what's your thought on that? Did you ever go to the movies? <laughs> yeah, all the time, bro. <laughs> all right, brother. So I go to the movies, too. And a lot of times I'll see a movie where um, things are spinning out of control. You got some crazy president or crazy, you know, global overlord or somebody doing something awful. Right. And then there's somebody, maybe it's a technician or maybe it's a scientist or maybe it's a general or a soldier who's got some back channel contact to somebody on the other side of the world. And right as the nuclear weapons are about to go, you know, they make this contact and they say, hey, hey, hold it, hold it. You know, this isn't going to be a war. Right. And you know what we call that guy? A hero. The hero. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The, the movie. Exactly. Right? They make the movie because of that person. Right. And so I think if we see it in that perspective, right, Millie is a very loyal, he's a loyal general. Yes. I mean, and I And I think that if Trump had ordered him to do something, I don't know where that would have ended up. I, I think he would have resigned. Nancy would have, I, he might have resigned, whatever. But the, the bottom line, the thing to understand is that what Millie was doing there was trying to avoid a war. Yeah. Right? And that's actually not a bad goal. No, it's you know? a great goal. And, it, it, and let me offer one other thing, too. There's a lot of our Republican friends who are now running around saying, well, this was treasonous. <laughs> it's unbelievable if you if you try to avoid a war, an unnecessary war launched by a madman, you know that somehow you've committed treason. Um, no. If you read our Constitution, the Constitution says that the Congress of the United States shall declare war. Right. 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 We don't follow it very often. No. We respect it as much as we should. By the way. But if you. By the way, if you do respect it. You know. Yeah. yeah. No. Gad, keep finish your thought. I'm sorry. I just going to say, no, no, but it's a very simple thought. If we do respect the Constitution, then Millie, in saying, you know, look, I'm going to try and keep things tamed down, um, make sure that Trump doesn't launch a war of whim right. because he's angry, that's very much within the basic constructs of the U.S. Constitution. And by the way, it's part of his oath because he's got to protect this country against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And the president, if he was starting a nuclear war, is a domestic enemy, if you ask me. Well, <laughs> I mean, I know that's kind of extreme to say, but, you know, I am a pundit. Uh, well, but, but even you don't even and I'm not I'm not going to tell you how to respond or how to talk about things one way or the other. But I'll just say, even if you're a conservative Republican, if you're honest, you want the constitutional framework to work because it's a right. good framework in this regard. Right. If and the president wants a war. He should go to the Congress of the United States and ask for a declaration. And by the way, all of these people whining about the withdrawal of Afghanistan. Had we had a truly declared war in Afghanistan, we would have needed the Senate to approve a treaty in Afghanistan. And we didn't have that because we didn't have a declared war. So, you know, I don't know. You want Congress to be involved. You want you don't like the way the withdrawal went. You don't like that we left. Well, maybe Congress should have stood up and said, no war without a declaration. We've been there for 20 years. That's right. And you look, you want to know one of the reasons, the many reasons why Donald Trump in 2016 won the Republican nomination for president, not the Democratic nomination, the Republican nomination, right. was because he made it clear 
that he stood in opposition to the Bush-McCain model as regards military adventurism abroad. Right. He, he bluntly said that. And so for these people now to come back and say, well, you know, this wasn't, this wasn't done right or we didn't like this, you know, I'm sorry. That's just pure cynicism. Yeah, it's the Republican base knows as well as the Democratic base that it was time to get out of Afghanistan. It's just we finally had a president who had the courage to do it. You know what I don't understand, John? And maybe you could help me with this. We saw how dangerous the interim period between him losing the election and leaving office was. Why hasn't Congress taken some step to avoid that the next time? Like, why haven't we passed all sorts of rules that would, like, limit the power of the president during that transition period to just make war decisions or something of that nature? Because our Congress is, is become, has become instinctually and practically lazy. They are irresponsible. Yeah. They have been irresponsible for a long time. Both major parties. Uh, it doesn't, you know, there's obviously the exception to the rule. There's a Barbara Lee and a Mark Pocan and a Bernie Sanders. Right. I can name, and, and Tim Kaine from Virginia and others. There are people who really do take this seriously. But the fact of the matter is, most members of Congress are just as glad to have the president do it. Right? Even as crazy as it is. Yeah. Because they don't want, they don't want... <laughs> to have to take the responsibility for deciding whether to send the sons and daughters of this country off to military adventures that may or may not be wise. I've been saying this since Bush was president. Madison is rolling in his grave because Congress has lacked ambition for probably a half a century now. That's exactly right. And, you know, the bottom line is that Madison is an imperfect man. He was certainly had his own flaws. Yeah. But he was right about one thing. He said that pretty much everything that was wrong extended from war. Yeah. Higher taxes, concentration of power in an individual being the president, um, you know, uh, a misdirection of the country's values. He wrote about all these things. Yeah. And he wasn't alone. John Quincy Adams did another. Well, he believed that new concept. He believed that Congress would have ambition to hold power and take that power from the president. And the president's ambition would counteract the Congress's ambition. That ambition's not happening. It's gone. There's no ambition in Congress anymore. The only ambition per- ambitious person in this country is always the president. It's, it's insane. That, well, and, and those who are ambitious in Congress too frequently steer their energy toward becoming president. Right. And I'm a minor historian of such things. And I can tell you, there have been times in American history where that wasn't the case. Right. Where in the 1920s, for instance, where people didn't think of leaving the Senate in order to run for president because being chair of a Senate committee was a bigger deal. It was a big deal. And and we have diminished the role of Congress so that it is not seen as the co-equal branch that it should be. It's horrible. John, before I let you go, let's talk a little bit about how COVID is going to impact the 2022 and 2024 elections. I, I mean, look, I thought we'd be done by now. But there's too many people in this country who are just big babies and don't want to get vaccinated. You know, I happen to like the way you said that, because I actually do think there's a portion of these people who are vaccine, quote unquote, hesitant or whatever, who are just scared to get the shot. Yeah. And that's pathetic. I mean, at this point, because, <laughs> it is pathetic. You know, there's 12 year olds lining up to get the shot. Anybody in their right mind wants it. I have a 15 week old puppy and I brought her to get shots just the other day and she was fine. I'm, sure, I'm not sure it worked out, but <laughs> it worked yeah. out. My 14 year old got it. She didn't even blink. <laughs> no, I know. I'm t- same here with my 17 year old. Yes. 
this is the way it works. And but this is a big deal. Um, the COVID thing is is totally intersecting with politics. I hate to tell you because it doesn't make me happy. But for all of Donald Trump's failures as president, if he had handled COVID well, he might well have been reelected. I honestly, I thought when COVID hit that the guy would take his job seriously and he would get reelected. That's what I thought was going to happen. And he didn't. Not for a second. (laughs) Not for a second. No, he actually he actually made it worse. Yeah. I have a book coming out early next year on all the things they did that were just unbelievable. Oh, I can't wait. But it'll be fun. It's called the Coronavirus Criminals and Pandemic Profiteers. Nice. Um, but I want to focus on the California thing for a second, because uh, the California results came so fast, so furious, that people didn't look at all the exit polls. But if you looked at the exit polling, what was the number one issue? COVID. COVID. Right. And and every evidence is, if you look at the crosstabs on who was who thought it was the number one issue, it was among the people... You know, it, it wasn't among people who thought we were doing too much on COVID. Overwhelmingly, people thought that Governor Newsom was either doing enough or that he should do even more. Right. Crack down even more. Right. And so that's the lesson. Uh, if Democrats are smart going into 2022, they will run on COVID. You know what troubles me, though, about those cross tabs? You brought up cross tabs. Now I'm going to bore my audience. Um, when I look at the... so. Clearly, the Democrats and left-leaning independents thought COVID was number one. But all this nonsense talk about the Republicans with crime in this country has really penetrated right-leaning and even some centrist independents. And Republicans have bought it hook, line, and sinker as their number one issue. No, you're right. And uh, look, I'm not naive about this. I think that when you look at polling of this kind, you're going to find some things that are reassuring some things that are troubling. Right. Uh, but my bottom line, though, is I look at that top line and it is, you know, what? Yes. What's your biggest issue? Right. Well, COVID came out number one and the economy was pretty high as well. Right. Which obviously relates in a lot of ways to COVID, I think. And so bottom line is that I think that it isn't just a California thing. I think that if you look at the results from California and you see that the Republicans run this cycle around underperformed 2018 by about four points or at least two three you know we'll see what the final result is but they underperformed right if if that if covid and other issues cause them to underperform in 2022 that it will be one of the best midterms in history for the party of the sitting president and i think at this point it's it's wise for democrats to wrap their head around the issue of COVID, uh, recognize that at some point you're going to have to you're going to have to offend a portion of the American population. There's going to be some people that are going to be very upset with you. Yeah, but the vast majority would like to uh, have vaccination mandated. By the way, and not forcing a jab in the arm. By the way, right? But, Just but if you're going to do X, you need it. You need a vaccination. You want to fly, you need to be vaccinated. Right. Things like that. You want to go to a concert, you need to be vaccinated. Right. So I think that's that's where it's headed. People, There's a lot of evidence that people are very comfortable with that. There's also a lot of evidence that people are overwhelmingly comfortable with mass mandates, with social distancing, with all the basics of this. And, you know, I think it's good to stay on message. You know, this pandemic isn't over. Uh and it, I think some Democrats will be afraid, well, if we acknowledge it isn't over, if we acknowledge things aren't better, 
then they'll start to blame it on Biden. I don't think so. Right. I don't think so because the Republicans go to such extremes on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. They, they're just look. I think we got to just take the Howard Stern stance on it. These huh. people are idiots and, you know, they're dragging the rest of us down and we've got to stop. We've got to stop letting these people who, and by the way, I think these people, I would say the vast majority of the people who are unvaccinated in this country know that the vaccine is safe. They understand it's safe. They're just now married to this like social movement of being an anti-vaxxer. And they can't get out of it. This is part of the problem with social media today. People put something on Twitter to their 500 followers and they think that they can't change their mind ever. Well, I think you're right about that. But let me throw one other thing in the mix. I think a lot of the people that put something on Twitter, you know, certainly somebody who's got more than 500 followers, a lot of these folks are vaccinated. Oh, for sure. Look, I know Tucker Carlson. I've done Tucker Carlson's show 100 times. I don't do it anymore. But I've done it a hundred times. He probably jumped over a little old man who was a war vet to get his vaccination the first week he was available. I guarantee you. Well, and this is I. This is the the real crime of it. You know, when we talk about coronavirus criminals, the bottom line is there's a, a, a tremendous amount of cynicism and hypocrisy here. And the fact is, then we have innocent people who happen to be right wingers, and maybe they're right wingers for a whole bunch of reasons right. that have nothing to do with COVID. But they see this and they think, okay, um, this is I, I, this is who I am. This is part of my identity is to not get this shot. To yeah, not wear my mask to do all this stuff, and that's 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 just criminal. It's criminal. Any politician or any media person to spread misinformation to people who actually trust them. It, it, it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me that they would even do that. And and well, it it's almost as if they hate their base. Yeah, and the, you know, I mean, you know, the Republicans should be very concerned because a lot of these people are people they depend on to vote for them, and some of them are dying, or they know people who've died because they've listened to this advice. And the margins in a lot of these states, even states like Texas, they're not that big, and you start yeah. losing one, two, three percent of your vote. You know, not necessarily death, but because people are just annoyed with your policies because somebody they know died. Uh, you, or they just give up, or they just get overwhelmed and frustrated by the whole system. Right. I'm in Wisconsin today. The presidential election in Wisconsin was decided by 20,000 votes. Yeah. Democrats. The governor's election in 2018 was decided by under 30,000 votes right. for the Democrats. Uh, so, yeah, if the Republicans uh, are, you know, sowing distrust, misinformation, doubt, even sickness among their base, um, they're not doing themselves any favor. They are not. John, I'm out of time. Where can people find you? Um, they can come to thenation.com, and I'm on Twitter at Nichols Uprising. Well, you are the best. This was a fantastic interview. Go have fun in Madison. Say hi to everybody over there for me, and we'll get you back on here soon. Thanks for joining me, John. John Nichols from The Nations. All right, I'm back. I hope you like John. John's uh, great. The Nation's great. Uh, please pick it up. Support it. Uh, fantastic uh, publication. I'm saying uh too much. Uh, so make sure you check it out. It's it's good. It's a good read. He's a good read. He's got a lot to say, and he knows a lot. I, I have Ellie Mistyle on a lot. You know Ellie, a friend of mine, uh, who also writes for The Nation. He, he covers the judiciary. He's been hot lately. His stuff uh, talking about uh, choice and what the Republicans are doing to choice has has been great. So just pick up The Nation. It's a great read. It's something you should do. And uh, I think it'll help. 
<laughs> so please do it. So let me just give you a, a you know two quick updates. One, you know, I, I've had a couple of weeks where my voice has been weak. I think it might have been in my head. You probably heard in that interview, you know, my voice was kind of cracking. I, I decided, you know, even though my voice was kind of weak last week, I was going to go do my radio show. And as I went along, I felt better, which is weird, right? So the more I talked, the better my voice felt. So I think I probably lost my voice due to something over the summer, probably the puppies yelling at a puppy. No, you got to yell no a lot. Uh, or it could have been at a concert or it could have been at a wedding. I spent, you know, a lot of time, a lot less sleep than I normally have. Um, and I, it, I've recovered and I just didn't want to accept the recovery. And I think that some of it might've been psychosomatic. I don't, I don't know, but I, I'm feeling better now for anybody who's wondering about the voice. And, you know, I've had a couple of weeks where I didn't have guests because I just didn't think I could do two hours of radio, um, and, and get through it. So I just, you know, took a week off so I wouldn't have to strain my voice any more than it already did. I didn't want to damage it permanently. Uh, but it's feeling good now and I'm going to try to take care of it. I'm going to try not to scream so much and uh, I'm going to do my best to uh, keep it so I can keep talking on the radio and here on this podcast and on television and to my dogs and to my friends. Uh, so uh, dog update, obviously I'm saying dogs because there are still two dogs here and it's great. They play, it's, you know, you would think they're fighting. They're not. They're playing. They are fantastic together. Um, the puppy's getting big. She's already probably 35 pounds, 16 weeks old, 35 pounds, just for the record. She's going to be a big one. Um, we expect her to double at least in size from what she's at now, maybe more. The other dog is 75 pounds, and I don't think she was this big this fast. So I expect this to be a little bit bigger, maybe 80 pounds, 85 pounds. Um, but we're going to, you know, keep them fit. We, we exercise a lot. If you don't exercise golden retrievers, they will destroy your house. Uh, so they make you pay. So take them for a walk, bring them outside, let them run around. Uh, it's very important to their well-being. Uh, and it, it's been such a joy having them here uh, and watching them play. And uh, it's tired me out. Maybe it's the reason why I lost my voice to begin with, but I really don't care. I really, really don't care. So, uh, you know, before I go, one one last word. Norm MacDonald uh, meant a lot to me. He was a fantastic comedian. I loved him on Saturday Night Live. I've seen all of his stuff, his Netflix show, his stand-up specials, uh, dirty work. I mean, I, I was a huge fan. Um, one of the greatest thrills uh, that happened to me in my punditry career was many years ago, even before... The Knowles incident, Michael Knowles incident, which really got me a lot of celebrity followers. Norm MacDonald's one of the first famous people to follow me on Twitter. And it made my day. And I had been following him. He does like golf commentary and he, not even he's dead now, um, but he, he would do golf commentary and he would do all these kind of funny, quirky things just like you would expect him to do. And it was a big thrill to me. And I think the nation lost uh, a great comic voice last week so norm wherever you are we love you i really appreciate all the joy you brought to me and to everybody i know who really enjoyed your comedy so i hope you're up there making god laugh right now and uh leaving them in stitches so with that i'm going to remind you as always to seek the truth question everyone everything even me seek the truth i know it's out there and i know you'll find it if you look for it 
And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.